Hello, Internet. I'm Stephen Harowitz, the Executive Director of Campfire, and you are listening to Campfire at Home. It's our way of bringing the live experience to you, whether that be listening and reflecting by yourself or experiencing it with friends. Each Campfire invites listeners into life and how we live it. Before we get too deep into Campfire at Home, I want to share a few opportunities for you to get involved beyond our live show. We offer classes and workshops on public speaking, story construction, and group facilitation to answer the big questions in your life or at work. If you or your organization are interested, you can visit campfire.com. That's C-M-P-F-R.com. Each campfire season poses a life question that's explored by our campfire fellows together with our audiences. For our Intro to Storytelling Showcase students, they take this question and turn it into a theme. This season, their theme was Things Left Unsaid. Let's go to the stage at KDHX to listen to these stories. Please help me welcome Gabe to the campfire. So it was 1995, and I was 16 years old, and I was, li- I was in line for a concert at a place called The Other World, down near where the City Museum is now. Me and my friends were going to go see a band called Letters to Cleo, who were on tour because of a hit album they had out. That was also the night that I met Christina. She was in line in front of us, wearing baggy skater jeans, uh, an oversized flannel shirt, and a gray knit stocking cap. She looked like Gwen Stefani, who a lot of you probably know from The Voice, but I knew from the van, no doubt. Um, She had long, thin, blonde hair, gray, piercing eyes, and a face that looked like a porcelain doll. As far as I was concerned, she was too pretty to talk to, but as community happens in concert lines, she started talking to me and my friends. Throughout the concert, we... uh, We spent a lot of time hanging out, talking about music and bands, and after the show was over, she gave me her phone number and told me to call her. I was not going to say no to her smile. So we started talking on the phone all the time, every couple of days. I can't believe how much time I used to talk on the phone. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Um, Sharing who we were and where we were from, I lived with my parents in South City at the time, and uh, she lived in Mascouda, Illinois with her sister and brother-in-law. Her mom lived in Springfield, Missouri, but she was with her sister because of the family stuff that comes from broken homes and bad choices. A couple months down the road, I convinced my dad to let me borrow the car to go pick her up and uh, bring her back to the city for the day. We drove through the flatlands of Illinois, and we got to a neighborhood right near Scott Air Force Base, and we found her address, and I parked the car. I got up and I, or I got out and I walked up and knocked on the door. Almost immediately, the door opened, and I loved the way a smile spread across her face. And I can still feel the way that she threw her arms around my neck and just shoved her face right into my cheek. So we got back to St. Louis, and my dad gave me a couple bucks, and we went and caught the number 11 Chippewa by state bus out to Crestwood Plaza. It was the 90s, and we were teenagers, and you hang out at the mall. (laughs) And it was a really fun day. She had this energy about her like she had never been to the city before, and everything was interesting, and she was enthusiastic, 
And it was just, it was a blast just hanging out and interacting in person and spending time together. The bus ride back was different. She was kind of exhausted and we just sat next to each other with her head on my shoulder, holding my hand in her lap with both of hers. When we got back to my parents' house, she called her sister to come pick her up. They were gonna be about an hour. Uh, she got off the phone. She looked right at me and kissed me. It wasn't the most comfortable kiss. She had really thin lips and she tasted like cigarettes. And I hadn't kissed a lot of girls at that point, but it was probably still one of the most passionate and sensual and urgent kisses that I've ever received. It was a kind of kiss that makes you feel taller than you are. It was a kind of kiss that makes you feel wanted. She took my breath from me and I was floating and I think she liked me. <laughs> so months had passed and uh, she moved back with her mom in Springfield. And the following spring break, I went down there to visit her for the week. It was a week that went by way too quickly. We spent the time walking around the college town of Springfield, uh, hanging out at coffee shops. We went and saw the band The Urge at a place called The Regency. And it was a different dynamic being around her and all her other friends. She was always the center of attention, and I was not the extrovert that she was. Um, the last night I was there, we had a party at her mom's house, and after the party was over, I, uh, I was sitting on the couch, getting ready to go to sleep, listening to the hushed murmur of conversation coming from her bedroom as she hung out in there talking to some other dude that was cooler and more good looking than I was. The truth was we were not together in any official capacity, and this was the universe reminding me of that, but I still felt hurt, and I felt rejected, and I felt like I wasn't enough. So I kinda, kinda got sad about it, and I decided I was gonna leave a day early. The late the next morning, I woke her up, and I told her that I needed her to take me to the Greyhound bus station as I was ready to go back to home. And she cried, and told me she wanted me to stay. But I was immature, and I was jealous, and I wasn't gonna be constructive about what I was feeling. So she took me to the bus station. The whole way there, driving her mom's truck, she held my hand. When we got in there, she put her arms around me and just clung to me. And I was still upset, and I gave her a hug. And I got on the bus and I came home. And I thought about her a lot for some time after that, but we didn't talk on the phone anymore. Late one night in August 1997, my, one of my sisters came downstairs to wake me up and said a girl had just called for me. She said she had been at a fish concert out at Riverport, and believe it or not, the people she was traveling with left without her. So she needed a place to crash. I knew it was Christina. About an hour later, the, uh, a car pulled up, and I watched from the front window as she got out and walked up to the house. Now, it had been a year and a half, so the feelings that I had of desire and sadness had pretty much fizzled out. But when I opened that door and she came in and just fell into me in an exhausted hug, I felt everything, everything, just flooding back into me. 
So I just stood there and held her for a little while. We talked for a bit, and uh, I gave her a towel and some clean clothes, and she went and took a bath. And when she got out, we went downstairs to my room, and we just laid down for a while, and I held her while she fell asleep. It was my parents' house. <clears throat> so I put a blanket over her, and I went upstairs and slept on the couch. <laughs> so the next morning, I woke her up, and I told her that I had to go to work, but I was going to take her to the bus station and send her back to Springfield to her mom's, where she ought to be. And she argued with me. She said there were some people she met at the concert last night that she wanted to meet up with today, or that day. And uh, I told her she could start walking. With a, uh, with a defeated smirk, she gave in, and we left for the bus station. After I bought her a ticket, we sat down on the benches there. And they were un stiff and uncomfortable, like church pews. So we decided we needed to both go smoke a cigarette. We went outside, and with tears in her eyes, she told me that she was sorry she made me upset and that she missed me. And I told her that it didn't matter, and I told her that I loved her and that I wished that she lived closer so that we could be together. And she said she wouldn't be good for me, and she was right. I wasn't the kind of guy that she wanted in her life. I was more along the lines of the kind of guy she needed. So I gave her a hug, and she wrapped her arms around me, shoved her cheek, or her face right into my cheek, and I can still feel that hug, and got on the bus and left. That was the last time I saw her. I was going through a box of things a couple years back, and I came across some pictures that she had sent me the weekend that I had left Springfield when I was upset, and she had written some notes on the back. And I thought, I'm going to look her up. I was involved with somebody at the time, so I wasn't, I wasn't looking to spark some romantic relationship, but I wanted to find out that she was doing well. She had had a challenging childhood, and I wanted to make sure that she had made it out all right, and she was living her best life. And I came across an article about an honors psychology student at the University of Massachusetts that was succeeding academically and living her best life, and it was Christina, but she was suddenly faced with some challenges, some of the, probably the biggest challenge that most anyone could ever face. She had been getting migraines and she had had some tests done, and it turned out she had a tumor in her brain. Um, it was a rare form of cancer that is typically found between, in children between the ages of 5 and 10, and she'd probably been carrying it her whole life. About a year before I came across those pictures, she died at the age of 31. So... My unsaid thing is that I will never get to tell her that the energy she had, the fearlessness that she had, her boldness is, was inspiring to me. It was something I didn't have in me. It was a strength 
to be able to shout your name from the rooftops. And I, always, I was always impressed by that. And I would thank her. I would thank her for teaching me that you can't make people be who you want them to be, that you have to let them live their life and walk their path and be who they are, even if they're kind of a gypsy. No matter what you want or what you think might be best for them, especially if you're just some 18-year-old 18 18-year-old 18 boy that thinks they're the center of the universe. Thank you. If you want, you can see the answers to this season's question as written by audience members from each campfire by visiting our Facebook page at facebook.com slash campfirestl. That's C-A-M-P-F-I-R-E-S-T-L. A big thank you to the campfire team, our photographers and videographers, and a special thanks to KDHX Community Media for being our partners on this journey. If you want to learn more about Campfire and the work we do, you can visit campfire.com. That's C-M-P-F-R.com. And if you like what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts, because it really helps. Until next time. Thank you.